Golden Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Big day of food talk today. Top 100 cheeses out. Very heavy on Italian cheeses, which I don't mind. At least the songs are getting better. Okay. It's next. Too close. One more time so we can hear it. It's next. Too close. Okay. We're getting better. Four o'clock hours here. Adam approves of the music on Valentine's Day. Just had uh, Frank from Seven Hills. I think he's on the East Coast. Just sent us a, a Wawa sub wrapper. Oh, yeah. Thanks for doing that. That's yeah, be nice to have one of those sandwiches right now. That's love right there. That, that is. That is. That, that makes you feel all gushy. You all right? Sure. A little Wawa sub. I'd like one right now. We start off the 4 o'clock hour with the big Ford 4. But before we do that, we have two hours on the way. Lots of Derek Carr talk. If you missed it earlier today, uh, Raiders officially informed Derek Carr that he is released Team released him before the forty point four million in his contract became guaranteed, and that's really the discussion now for at least the next couple of days. Did Derek Carr make a spite move here by turning down a guarantee of forty point four million to stick it to the Raiders, and then you know winds up only getting twenty or thirty million guaranteed? I, I think they made the right move, but it's not. It's far from guaranteed. All right, big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. All right, I'm still all about doing football all the way through the draft every day, almost every block of the show, because that's how big football is, and I love it. And we both like baseball, but mostly uh, for gambling and fantasy, which is the same thing. Sure. But I'll bite on this one. Pitchers and catchers are reporting. 20 years ago, I would have been really excited about this, but, you know, the game is kind of scuffled. I know it's very popular regionally. It is. I watch it pretty much every day. I don't. I don't. I'll admit that. Um, but, you know, I don't know that they're trying to get me back because I think most of my demo, 50-plus, is still – a lot of them are still on board. But they are making some changes. So as pitchers and catchers report the next, like, three, four days in Florida and uh, – Arizona, they're instituting a bunch of new rule changes. One of the intriguing ones, and I, I, I'm waiting for Costas to speak up because he's basically anointed himself a baseball purist, which over the years he's been wrong so often. Who cares what he has to say? But I, mean, I, I guess I shouldn't rip the guy before I hear his opinion. Bigger bases. They're saying it's because of safety, but I really feel like it's a way to boost stolen bases because people don't run anymore. And I think this is one of those moves, Adam, where they're – they're making the bases bigger, so they're bigger on, what, like two inches on each side, two inches all around. I don't think people were, like, not stealing because they didn't think they could steal. It's just it's not really analytics baseball. True. If, if people are going by true analytics, I don't think they're going to steal bases because the what, – what did Alex Gore said? The bases are like pizza they boxes like now? like pizza boxes, yeah, which uh, they're giant. And um, we don't – all we have to do is look at what happened in the minor leagues. Base stealing went up exponentially. How much? Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of okay. me, but it went it went up significantly. Really, to the point where I listen. I do listen to a lot of fantasy stuff, and they're freaking out about the numbers of stolen bases in the minor leagues when they use the bigger bases as compared to when they're normal, good, good. and how it com- could completely change the game. Now, I think you're right. I don't think it's going to be as significant at this level necessarily. Ten percent more. That's too much. I, maybe higher. Okay. And because the uh, the other factor, it's not just that the bases are bigger. 
the throwovers are going to stop. You can only do it th- twice. Yeah, talk about that one because that, that is going to change the game. Yeah, for sure. You can only throw over twice. And so you, the third time, it's a balk. So you can only really throw over twice, which means no more of the nonsense step off, soft toss over. Like, if you're throwing, you're throwing your good move. Like, you're using your good move. Yeah. You're trying to pick somebody off. And then once you throw over twice, you can run because you know they're not throwing over. So that, I think, could, could help really jumpstart the base deal as well. Now, I don't necessarily love that, and I don't necessarily love betting the shift because I am a little bit – you know, traditional in those in those senses. I should love banning the shift, and you know why. why? My guy, Joey. Yeah, yeah. Which you know what? I have to. I flipped out a couple of times, and then I was like, "No one cares about this but me and Joey Gallo's family." But when Gallo signed, he signed with the Twins for thirteen mil a year, and there were all these New York asshat media people who were like, "Unbelievable! You're still gonna make money!" Like. He's gone, okay? So the Joey Gallo hate thing can stop in New York and New Jersey. Cut it out. Be adults. God, I hope with the shift band that he, I'm not going to say he's going to hit 300, but he goes like 240 with 42 dongs and only strikes out 175. I hope it happens. But beyond him, because I'm very selfish, I hate, well, I mean, that, that actually requires him to get like, you know, f- whatever. 540 plate appearances. We sure. know we know he's going to walk 100 times because he's got a great eye. But beyond him, I freaking I hate that they're changing a legitimate defensive move in baseball. I mean, tie it back to any revolutionary defensive alignment and approach in the NFL. And imagine if they're like, too good, we got to ban it. Yeah, too high safety. That's out. Yeah, that's 40, out. 46 defense. Let's not leave it to the rest of the game to figure it out slowly and, you know, render it irrelevant. Nope, we're just going to save everyone from it. You can't do it, buddy, Ryan. In 1988, you're done. No goal line defense. Like you can't line up a bunch of guys on the goal it's line. So, it's so stupid. Somebody. It's, it, it's, it's, and it's, it's all. The game is built to be more pro offense, right? For some reason, get more singles back. Right? And the other thing is speed up the game because the pitch clock is going to get real aggressive yeah. now. Yeah, for sure. Like all those things are there. It's clear they're trying to you know get a younger audience, and maybe it works. I don't. I don't think it necessarily does. I don't think. I don't think people aren't watching. Say, there's not you know 25 year olds sitting home saying, you know what, I want to watch this baseball game, but three hours and 20 minutes. I don't know. They're gonna. Be, it's gonna be 305. Oh, let me see. <laughs> to, let me. What channel is it on? I, I just don't think it's gonna happen. I, it, it's pretty silly to me, but um, they're at least trying. I guess you give them credit for that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how it works out. Number three. Uh, we just mentioned the NFL making rules changes. Are they going to ban the Eagles goal line, you know, th- whatever, two-yard, one-yard play where it's basically the victory formation and you got two guys behind the quarterback who's going to be the runner who can push the quarterback? Because I'll tell you, defensive players looking at this and they're like, what, what are we going to do here? And I hadn't even thought about the safety element. I think this is actually a little bit phony, but it's a good thing to throw out there by uh, one Dick Sherman. And now you got the QB sneak play that they're never going to address, there's no stopping that. Every team's going to install that now. Every team's going to have a mobile quarterback, fourth and one, we're going for it. You've never played defense tackle, nose tackle in this league. That's a lot of weight on a couple human beings. You talk about, like, dangerous play, protecting players. You're not protecting those guys down there. You're not protecting those nose tackles, those D tackles, those linebackers. You're not protecting those. They got thousands of pounds of weight on their back, on their neck, trying to push forward. And you're just like, well, great play by the offense. They got a yard. All right. Well, I mean, we all we all turn to the whole safety thing to try to, you know, get over the top with approval. A little ridiculous, but 
the play is virtually unstoppable. And I really thought over the years that pushing offensive players from behind was a no-no. But until the NFL does something about it, by the, by the way, I wanted to – we had a chance to talk to Barry Odom a little bit yesterday, the UNLV football coach, and I wanted to ask him about this. Like, it's, I mean, isn't this something – if you if it's legal, right, did they outlaw the bush push or is there, like, certain ways of doing it? Um, like, why wouldn't – every college football team is going to have this too. Yeah, I kind of thought it was illegal. Well, the, well, the difference is, yes, they are, and that, that's going to be how you quarterback sneak, but it's also not going to be as effective. The reason that's effective for Philadelphia is not because of the design of the play. It's because their offensive line is incredibly dominant. Jalen Hurts is one of the strongest quarterbacks we've ever seen in terms of what he does in the weight room is yeah. crazy. And, so, and then you've got, you know, big big running backs behind them too. So, like, those, that's the reason that this is effective. So then why can't every college just use one of their fullbacks? They could. No, I think, well, I think people would. I guess would. touche to that is a lot of colleges don't have fullbacks anymore. Sure. But if you had a 240-pound running back who's a battering ram, like BYU with Aiden Robbins should just line up in this all the time in, in short yardage. Don't swing him wide. Don't freaking hand it off when he's eight yards back. Just get him under center if he can handle a snap and just freaking bull forward. Let's go. Yeah, or a linebacker. Like find somebody, just put, put your strongest guy there, put your strongest guys behind him, and just go. And and I think that, that makes sense. Now, I, I, do, I do think the pushing players from behind probably should not be allowed. Because um, you're not going to let defensive players stack up and push back, because then you blow the whistle and say, you know, you're you're hitting them late or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't think you should be able to push guys from behind. Uh, so maybe they could get rid of that part of it. But uh, yeah, this is a very effective play as long as it's allowed. Number two, two new head coaches in the NFL. We're going to talk a lot about Shane Steichen, former UNLV quarterback, in just a couple minutes. But uh, Johnny Gannon, DC of the Eagles, off a not so great performance in the second half. Jonathan Gannon is now the Arizona head coach and I found uh, one guy has been doing a I guess, I don't know what I don't know where he does it but it, it actually it, it's pretty decent production for his like 2 minute rants a <laughs> uh, dude in Philly screaming and yelling about Gannon how he got out coached not why you lost your defense could not get a stop your defense got crushed left guys wide open miscommunication the motion it screwed everybody over and your defensive coordinator did nothing about it did nothing to help you out jonathan gannon jonathan gannon this was the fear all along there's certain things that he won't do and it ended up being the death of him over do yeah those are two different words uh he, he just said jonathan gannon gannon is that a thing like our Eagles, are, are a lot of Eagles fans happy right now that he's gone? Seems like it. Should they be? If we're going to base it on this guy. Um, I guess the, the front-line production of uh, 900 sacks in a season, that doesn't count? Not part of it? Well, is, it, is it an adjustment thing? He doesn't make adjustments? It's also, look, he was he was given great material to work with. Like the, the, the level of skill on all three levels of the defense there is very, very good and very high. So I don't know. I don't know that I watched enough of them throughout the season to know if it was things that he was doing that they were getting all those sacks. The games that I watched, I thought it was more individual effort than scheme that was getting there. And it was a lot of, you know, they weren't even really sending guys that often. It was, hey, just go turn them loose. And I think that's, that's what we talked about yesterday of being one of the big issues in the Super Bowl being the footing where their defensive ends got nothing going because they kept slipping every single play. And I think that they looked around and said, wait, what is happening? We usually get pressure with just our front four. That's the way to beat the Chiefs. We are a perfect matchup to beat the Chiefs. Why are they not getting there? Oh, they're falling down every play. So I, I don't want to give him too much credit for how good they did during the season. And I don't want to give him too much blame for how poor they were on Sunday. I don't think he's the one picking the cleats. Uh, now it is his job to say, okay, at some point in this game, 
our guys are all falling down up front. Let's send other guys. Let's find another way to get pressure. But the way you get crushed by the Chiefs is also by sending pressure. So they were in a tough spot uh, with the fact that they couldn't find any footing there. And, uh, again, I don't want to blame him for Sunday, but I certainly don't want to give him too much of the credit for the year because they do have a ton of talent on that defense. Do we have to have hot takes about the Eagles coming out of the Super Bowl? Can't you walk away from the game and go, both teams played really well. Uh, The Eagles made a couple of mistakes. Obviously, allowing the punt return by Kadarius Toney was a big one. And I believe, giving the ball back to Pat Mahomes with like four minutes left, that's a bad move. But they they coached mostly a good game. Uh, They're going to have to replace their coordinators. So that, that is a talking point. But like anyone, I mean, is there, is there anyone out there who's believable talking about the Eagles having a weak path at this point? Who cares what their path was? They went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and could have and probably should have beaten them. Yeah, they had a chance to win that game for sure. No no question. And, yeah, they had a very easy path. Like, <laughs> there's but, nothing. I, but, I, but I think they like those, those objections to the Eagles being competitive in the game were overcome. Yeah, yeah, they, they got there, and they had a good chance to win a game that they played very, very well in in the Super Bowl, despite, as you said, how they got there, yes. Easy, easy, easy path, for the, sure. The discussion should be now, is the path going to get harder? Like, who is really on the upswing to compete with a 12- or 13-win team? Yeah. Is it the Niners without a, you know, without a stud quarterback? Can the Niners do it you know, based on a loaded roster if they don't go with a higher-level quarterback? Yeah, we don't know what the movement is going to be, but yesterday you're, when you first said – Will the Eagles be the favorite, or are the Eagles the clear favorite for next year? I said, no, somebody will somebody will make moves and get there. And then I started thinking about it, and you said, around the NFC? No. Who, who's going to make this massive move? I don't know. They should probably be the favorite right there with the Niners, depending on the quarterback. Big 4-4 brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Call from anywhere in the state, 766-1400. I think accuracy, uh, decision-making, and the ability to create are the three things that uh, I look at in a quarterback. Um, I think those are important. But obviously, above the neck, I think the you know the players that I've been around, Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert and Philip Rivers, uh, they all have one thing in common: they're obsessed with their craft. Uh, and if you can find that uh, in a quarterback, you're probably going to have some success. Now back to Coalfield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mac. Unfamiliar voice to a lot of people around the country, Shane Steichen. He's the new Colts coach. He played quarterback at UNLV. Believe it or not, was on the same crew or same team when the quarterback room also had Scott Turner, North Turner's kid, who uh, is now with the Raiders as a coach. I was, was kind of had a little audible reaction during the break. Man, you are old. I thought Shane Steichen was around at UNLV when you were there, but he came after you. He's six years younger than you. Yeah. And he's a head coach in the NFL. Yeah. I, I uh, was covering him at UNLV. I wasn't there when he was there. Yeah. Although when you said unfamiliar voice, I thought you meant Usher. And I was like, what? Oh, no, 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 no. That was lovely. <laughs> very Happy Valentine's Day. Sure. Wrong. Uh-oh. 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 Jagged edge. Uh-oh. Wait, was it? I it thought... was, yes. Let's get married. That was not let's get married. I swear. Oh, no. Wow. Why was it so slow? It's a slow song. I thought it was you got it bad. I'm not I'm, mad at that. I mean, Ari, Ari was right earlier. You know, the I think the original version of... Uh, that simply red song. The original was Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, if I have it correct. So he was right on that one. So I'm I'm gonna go with him. Listen back, Usher. Listen back. Th- that was wait. Hold on. Th- I, whatever. We don't have to do this on the air. They hit number one. <laughs> number one. We didn't get to finish the uh, big Ford four. I want to get the stake in here in a second. And these jobs that are open because we mentioned Jonathan Gannon leaving the Eagles to take the Arizona job. 
I still think the Arizona job can be an awesome job. Raiders have a lot of decisions. So Derek Carr has been cut, and I'm sure they've you know they've they've had their plans, they've had their wish list, and TB12 might have been at the top of it, but he retired. Are you getting anything from your connects in the organization on what they're going to do with Josh Jacobs in this era with a running back with that kind of production? Are these the guys who are going to give a running back 12, 13, 14 mil a year? I think it's a tough spot for them because they absolutely want him. I think if you asked them before the season, they didn't. That's why they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. That's why they played him in the Hall of Fame game. And by the way, he – um, did speak about that last week and finally said, you know what, that was garbage. Uh, so all these, all the covering of that at the time and uh, all the silliness around, well, it's just what they do. Oh, no, he was not happy, and he took it as a sign that they were ready to move on from him, as he should have, because that's what it was a sign of. Um, they, they were ready before the season to not pay him. They didn't want to commit to a running back. That wasn't in their plans. And then he did what he did this year and did not only on the field but off the field and showed them in the locker room what he means to the organization and what he means to the rest of the players there. And I think they decided that he was invaluable beyond just his position, which is a position not of value to them and to most people around the league. So they're in a spot where they need to now sign him. But the problem is he had such a good year that everybody wants to sign him. Uh, so, you know, they they want to find a way to keep him around. They want to find a way to sign him long term. He did say – uh, last week at Radio Row, one of his top priorities is a uh, playing somewhere with no state tax. And that's good for the Raiders, but it's also good for a couple other teams out there that might be looking for a running back. So uh, they want to get this done, and he has made it clear he does not want to play in the franchise tag. Now, they could do that and, as he said, make him you know put him from a hero to a villain and make him unhappy and not wanting to do the things that he's done maybe off the field and around the team and not be as happy and, and as, uh, as great of an influence in the locker room, that's possible. But I think they want to find some, to find some way to get this done. I, I think they want to have him around, um, and we'll see what that means. So we got a couple of things at hand here when it comes to team building and trying to win Super Bowls. One, there's been a new standard set for the quarterback and how much of the money he's taken on the roster, right? Because previously there had been no Super Bowl champion that had a quarterback, I think, making more than like 13% of the whole roster hall. Right, and now we're in the era of thirty-five to fifty-three million dollar quarterbacks, and none of these guys had won. So Mahomes breaks that. I think he took up seventeen percent of the roster this year. But you know what's even crazier? Because I think there are going to be more of the thirty, you know, thirty-five, forty, forty-five million, fifty million dollar quarterbacks who can win the Super Bowl. Because there's going to be like seven guys making that who are all going to be on good teams. Someone's going to get it right beyond the Chiefs. The other crazy one is the running back thing. When you look at what running backs have been paid. Did you see this this uh, chart I sent over? Yeah. It is back to 2009, the leading rusher in the game and their base salary. So the most successful guy in the game, it doesn't mean that the team necessarily won, but the most successful guy on the ground in the game, none of them have made, going back to 2009, more than $2.5 million. Yeah. So either big backs flop in the game or... To have success, you just don't need to be paying someone ten, twelve, seventeen million dollars. Well, that's what teams have figured. I mean, like this is this is something that goes back a while, and it, it's not a new thing. It's not you know people that pay attention to the cap and roster construction know that this has been the direction oh, it's heading. I'm sorry, I was just thinking, boy, how many of these guys did we see around Radio Row potentially hawking their wares? And one name pops up a lot, and that and he was there, and this is why. 
Like, he made a nice living, but he wasn't making 10, you know, 12, 14 million dollars. I think he got in his, his, his own way a lot of times. But LeGarrette Blunt, three out of four Super Bowls, was the leading rusher. He never made more than 900 grand yeah. that year, you know, going to the game. Yeah. Yeah. The high-dollar guys just don't make it or don't win it. By the way, where where did the coaching staff here come from? And that's how that's how they've handled it. That's how they've that's how they've you know balanced their running backs, and that's part of how they've been able to negotiate the cap over the years. So it's it's really really interesting how it's going to play out. I know they don't want to overpay him, uh, but they're going to have to if they want to keep him around. And I do think he's in their. Pl- I do absolutely believe, based on conversations, that he's in their plans. So. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they work this out potentially and how they make this happen. And do they do what he doesn't want? And do they say, hey, you're not going to agree to a contract? We're tagging you. That's just how it's going to be. So as I mentioned, the head coaching spots were filled today, the remaining spots. It was clear the Cardinals, the Colts, were waiting for someone who was coaching in the Super Bowl. So the offensive guy was hired as Shane Steichen. So Steichen played quarterback. At UNLV, he's worked his way up through the NFL. He's coached for about 11 or 12 years. Now he's a head coach. He's 37 years old. I think he's losing a little bit of his day today because of Eric Bieniemy. Because now that all the doors are closed on head coaching spots, people are starting to flip out again. Big time. Shannon Sharp was one of those guys. Yeah, Bienemy again, did not get a job. I think, as the, the guys mentioned here on the Shannon and Skip show, uh, Bienemy's done 15 interviews. He still doesn't have a job. I don't even feel like he got many sniffs this year. As a two-time Super Bowl champion offensive coordinator of the Chiefs, like barely got any attention. Uh, here's Shannon melting down. 15 chances, Skip. If I, if, 15 times. If I think what this poor man yeah, has been through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like anything, Skip. 15 times, I got 15 girlfriends. They say, Shannon, you undateable. You done got 15 interviews and you had not got hired yet. They say, you know what? You unhirable. You need to call plays in order to get a head coaching job. But don't you give a guy a job that didn't call no plays. If you say that guy needs NFL experience, don't you go get no guy from college. So a big part of his uh, like four-minute rant was moving the goalpost, right? You gotta you gotta call plays in the NFL to get a job, and then there's a laundry list of guys who've never called to play in the NFL who got jobs. Uh, you know, you just you have to coach in the pros. You know, you just gotta be a professional coach in some form or fashion. Then you bring in Cliff Kingsbury, right? And uh, Urban Meyer gets a chance. This this is all great. We've done this, all right. We've done it four years in a row. Can we change the conversation? What's the what should the conversation really be about? Can we get the freaking story, right. the real story? Because re- in this case, I don't believe it's about black and white. There's still a small chance it is. But I don't believe that that's the biggest part of the problem here. What do you think is the problem? Well, it, I think it's two things. I think that the, it, the problem in this case, while I think there is a massive problem with race and hiring and all those other things, I think this is an Eric Bieniemy issue, not a black and white issue. Yes. However, however... If Eric Bieniemy was white, I think we'd overlook what he, whatever issues he has and hire him anyway. So what, what, we've difference. talked about the issues before, and no one's really pinpointed them. Right. But apparently there were some incidents back at Colorado and then early out of school. And they may have been, at least one, female-related. And no one's really talked about it or written about it. You don't get passed up this many times for a head coaching gig. 
in favor, uh, and I'm, I'm not getting on Shane Steichen, but whoever the, the, you know, the flavor of the year is at OC. Um, and see, the other path I don't want to go down because it's going to sound like uh, I'm moving the goalpost, right? Like, apparently, Biennemi has a really interesting personality. Now, there are a lot of horses' asses. I'm not saying he's a horse's ass, but there are a lot of horses' asses who have been given chances to coach, and, and some of them, white or black, have been blown out in a year. They're just sure. freaking weirdos, right? It just it didn't work. But there's a, there's a much bigger story behind, like, you know owners and GMs are talking, and they're like, he's not, we're not interested in him. He's not hireable because of this right. and this and this. Right. There's, there's, got, there's got to be something. And then I, I definitely want to get on onto this later on with Mal Simmons. He's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. Now, I believe the Chiefs are in a bind. They don't want him. Yep. They, want to, they want him to move on. That's why Andy Reid was so glowing in his words after the Super Bowl. Like, instead of saying, my God, someone please freaking take him, we want to make a change. Yeah. But, but, and, and if you're Biennemi, like, I'm not leaving – to go coach, you know, the OC and have more control with Dan Snyder as my boss for a while and look at this collection of QBs I'm working with. No, I'm staying here. And you know behind the scenes with the Chiefs, and not everyone knows this, but I believe this for a year and a half, that with the Chiefs are like, all right, enough. Yeah. We want to make a change. Yeah, we want Nagy to be the OC and then take over as head coach eventually, but we can't do that and, if we just fire it. We can't just fire it. And, Adam, I really believe that Andy Reid – could walk away. I don't think he can. They are scurrude if he walks away and he doesn't get the job with the Chiefs when they're when they're saying, "Hey, this is a guy who deserves a chance." It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. When you feel it in your body, you found somebody who. Makes you change your ways like hanging with your crew. Said you act like you're ready, but you don't really know. And if we were in a karaoke room, you would do this. I know you would. You got the backing. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> that would have been, been great. You start to sing, all right, just drops it. Just drops it out. All right, more on Eric Bianami and Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, all the coaching stuff around the National Football League with Miles Simmons in. The 5 o'clock hour, we are live at the Thomas and Mac as we're getting ready for a UNLV game against San Jose State. Spartans have certainly become a, a dangerous team, a thorn in the side of a bunch of teams, including Utah State recently in the Mountain West Conference. A pretty busy night today in the Mountain West. Uh, Utah State's going to host Air Force, pretty big favorite, but Air Force can be plucky. Wyoming, really on its last legs, man. Huh. What I mean, you talk about a guy who... If they had the expected year, Adam, Cowboys were picked top four in the Mountain West Conference. If they did what they were expected to do and they stayed healthy, I think Jeff Linder is probably off to another school. He's out of the conference. I think he's power five at that point. And that's how delicate it is. It's been a rough year for Nico Medved. They really didn't, you know, didn't find a way to replace the production of David Roddy. Uh, back to Wyoming. He was getting minutes in the NBA, by the way. He is, yeah. yeah. He le- legitimately is for the Grizz, right? Yeah. Adds another uh, big body on a team with a bunch of big bodies and a spe- you know, troublemaker, good way, like uh, Dylan Brooks. But, yeah, Wyoming is down Graham E.K., who was top five player, you know, consideration, player of the year consideration before the season. And then they had all these transfers in from UCLA and USC, and all three left the team last week. And a guy who had emerged as the leading scorer in Noah Reynolds, really good 
point guard. I watching him last year at the Thomas and Mac in the Mountain West Conference tournament, I was like, wow, this guy is going to be really good. I mean, I don't know how the hell they landed this guy. He's out for the year, concussion issues. So that's against New Mexico and uh, the three game slate tonight, and then got games just about every day. As uh, I like what the Mountain West has done, spreading out the schedule. Boise and Colorado State tomorrow. That's in Fort Collins. San Diego State at Fresno. Usually a war because uh, Justin Hudson is from the San Diego State system. Fresno probably not equipped to take them out. And then the Wolfpack will jump back on the court on Saturday and get a bye this week. That's been one of the best stories in, not for, not for UNLV fans, but it's been one of the best stories in the conference. Last year, people whining in Reno about Alford's 10-year contract. Other people around the conference sort of chuckling at the whole thing. Like, he and Noodles are pretty good. I'd be careful. And they've been the story. They're 20-6 and six and 10-3, and three, and now you got uh, Reno Media talking about a lot about the net rankings, where this team sits. There's Reno. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh, on the on the uh, on the bracketology list, I mean there are ten, according to CBS Sports, they're in pretty good shape unless they have a complete collapse, and I just don't see them. I don't think they're going to fall apart these last five games. I, I thought I thought eventually the Wolfpack would drop to about ten and eight or eleven and seven, so they're ten and three right now at Utah State, San Jose at home, at Fresno, at Wyoming, UNLV at home. Yeah, you look there, and, and that should be three and two at worst. They're going to win 13 games in conference, yeah, minimum. You, you look on those ratings, and there's Reno. There's, there's Reno right there um, fighting fight their way in. And I Look, I think at this point the sum is kind of better than their parts, but they've got some decent parts, and they're just putting it together, and they're playing well, and they're finding ways to win games like late in contests. Maybe they shouldn't uh, coming out on top, and, and that's sometimes what you need to put together a nice season. And I, I think, you know, only probably on the – you know, only going up from here, you would think – uh, from where they are, because they're they're building a, building a pretty good foundation uh, of a program right now, and uh, they're they're dangerous for sure this year and, and certainly beyond. They've got three freshmen led by Darren Williams who prepped here in Vegas at Bishop Gorman from Sacramento. He's a good player, so their uh, their future is looking pretty good. And the guys that they brought into the program to be pieces for a year or two are playing really well for Steve Alford's team. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Alert seven six six fourteen hundred is the number to call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. The game shouldn't have ended like that. They got robbed of a chance while this offense was humming for a lot of this game. They had a chance to go downfield, and the refs robbed it. It's unacceptable to call that at that time. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. All right, Sam Panayovich with us, Cofield, and Adam. Happy Valentine's Day, buddy. Happy Valentine's Day to you, you jerk. What's the problem? Are we going to do this every time? How come, how come I always miss you on Super Bowl Sunday? Like, you're always like, oh, I'm not in town, and then I find out you're in town, and then you're like, oh, I'm at home already. Well, I, I, I get annihilated, and I'm true. done by 8 o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday because I have to be up the next day to do Monday. Um yeah, late night on Super Bowl Sunday. I, you know, the the SO ain't ain't staying out until one in the morning. So sometimes you got to kind of abide by certain rules with your mate, and that's the way Sundays work for me. I showed up at a spot Sunday where I was told that Sam and another friend of ours, John, were, 
and nothing. Nobody was there. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it looked like you had a good crew there, although, you know, it's funny. I did notice one guy in your crew is the same guy, at least in the picture that I saw. Sam Paniotovich is with us. You guys were hanging out down at Oasis. Um, one guy in your crew is also a guy who, in the past, had vomited into the sink there and uh, destroyed the bathroom, which I'm actually shocked no. that he's... Oh, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. That oh, yeah. can't be, really? Yeah. Yeah, the guy Patrick. I can't oh, believe he's not banned oh, from the property. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, yep. that makes sense. Yeah, I can't believe he's not banned from the property. That that's uh that's pretty much unforgivable. Like you yeah, take out a bar a bathroom. That's, that's, a <laughs> that's a bad. That's a bad one. Okay, I, I so we came back with and uh, we'll we'll meet up eventually. I, I know I, we uh, we always have the not the wires crossed, but whatever. Um, I did play or Ari did on the way back. Uh, a TikTok kind of radio guy, Philly guy, complaining about the call at the end of the game. Are you one of the folks out there who was frustrated that they made that call at that time? No, because I had Chiefs money line, but if I had Eagles money line, yeah, I would have been upset. I mean, we're all basically upset based on our own personal investments or our personal fandoms. I mean, yeah, I mean, the guy, how about the guy that went on the um, the postgame show in Philly, like on the air, you know, was like, you know, saying all this stuff, and um, he said a couple words that I can't say, and it's like, well, of course they're going to say that because they're, you know, they're Philly fans. They're jerks. You know, they throw <laughs> batteries at Santa Claus. Um and, like, you know what's so funny about, about the Eagles is, like, the fan base, and I picked against the Eagles uh, one time in the playoffs, one time before the Super Bowl, rather. And, like, my mentions were just flooded with, like, you know, you're, you're a prick, you don't know anything, you never watched a football game. And it's like, you know, they, they say all that, and then, you know, they lose, and they're sore losers walking through the streets of Philly saying, F the Chiefs, you know? So it's just like... I. That fan base in that city, for that matter, like, I have no sympathy for them. And I, you know, because it's the way they've treated me. So, no, when the Chiefs won the game and I had money on the Chiefs, I was glad to see Philly lose because they act like a bunch of crybabies every time they do. In general, are you in the boat? Don't make a call late in the game? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, in all seriousness, I don't think that that flag should have decided the game. Um, and it really did. Like, you. I don't think you should make that call at that moment. So, and I think you probably agree with me too on that one, Hill. Like, that's not a no. play that should that should dictate no. the the outcome of the game. No, because I, um, I think Sam, I'll, I'll say I think one of the dumbest phrases of all time is "let the players decide the game." Well, if you don't make a call, you're you're not letting the players decide the game either. Like, you the the, the players made the decision to hold, so it's a hold. Like that's that's what we're dealing with. No, it was a hold. It was a hold. Like, I but I don't I don't like it. Sort of. You know, dictating the the entire game. I, I guess I don't know, man. It, it, it's a very interesting question, and and it's something the league has to think about. But I go back to one of the the biggest Super Bowl plays of all time when when Russell Wilson throws the pick to Malcolm Butler. There was defensive holding on that play, you know, and the and the officials didn't call it. Like they could have called it, and the Seahawks would have just fell into the end zone. It's just my thing is this: look, when we watch the NFL, we have to understand that there's going to be something stupid the refs do in this game. Probably at multiple times, and, and that's just that's just a part of the racket, you know. These these referees they love to take uh, the spotlight. They make calls. Sometimes they don't make calls, and you know you can't please everybody. But that's why you watch the NFL. That's why the guys at the Super Bowl call it ref ball because the refs get involved or they don't, and you can't make everybody happy. That's true. I, I actually thought the only really bad call of the game was Dallas Goddard getting that catch on the sideline, which clearly didn't have possession of and the Phillies got a break or the Phillies the the Eagles got a break there and then all of a sudden the fans forget about that one 
Like, where's the outrage about that? Because I, I, I have always said, and this is a thing on the show, you need to be mad when a call goes your way. If a bad call goes your way, you need to be outraged. Otherwise, you have no room to complain when it, when it goes against you. And that's what I was just sort of getting at. Like, you know, people usually just care about their own personal, whether it be a monetary decision or you grew up rooting for the Eagles. Like, yeah, you're going to see it with rose-colored glasses on. But then you can't, you can't have it both ways. You, you can't ignore the ones that go your way and then just cry about the ones that <laughs> don't because that's, that's being a hypocrite. It's human nature, uh, for sure. What what did you make? We, we were talking about this yesterday. The the handle in Nevada down uh, from last year. Um, I don't think it's a huge reason to be concerned, uh, but what what did you think on just the, the overall fact that the, the numbers were down, even though the game was right down the road in Arizona, but there was betting there? I think the, the big reason that Nevada lost uh, the war against uh, last year's Super Bowl, if you will, is because the Rams weren't in the game. You know, let's not ignore all those people from California coming across and, you know, betting it in Reno or betting it wherever, you know, coming into Vegas. I think that has something to do with it. We also didn't see as many big bets uh, this year in Vegas. Like, I think that the biggest bet uh, South Point took was 100000 at least going into Sunday morning. And then Westgate guys took like a $40,000 bet. And, you know, like the numbers just weren't that big. Like, I remember last year there were there was like a $250,000 Bengals bet and then Another shop had a $150,000 Ram bet. I think the bigger bets weren't there. Um, but also, too, I mean, we can now wager in 33 states in D.C. And I would always say, and I will always say, there's no destination city in this country like Las Vegas for events, whether it be Super Bowl or March Madness or whatever. But if I live in Virginia now or if I live in, you know, a newer state like Ohio, like am, am I going to go to Vegas if I don't have to? You know, I can now watch it in in my own state and bet there. So um, I don't know. I think a lot of factors go into it. Uh, but number one would be the Rams weren't in it, so you lost that California money. And two, we're just we're in more states. And next year it might be, you know, 38, 39 states. So it would be fascinating to follow. You mentioned next year uh, I consider you the, the prince of the uh, sports betting media uh, out there, Sam. Uh, what, what, what is it going to be like as the entire sports betting world descends on Las Vegas for a Super Bowl? I can't even imagine what's going to happen next year. Well, I can't believe you just assumed gender in 2023. That's, That's you can't do that anymore. Okay, let's. I appreciate the That's moniker, fair. but let's let's keep it keep it easy. Um, yeah, I think the whole world's going to come to Vegas next year. I mean, and it's ironic because I moved there in 2018, February 2018, and at that time, you know, people in sports executive positions were like, "Oh, gambling will never work in Las Vegas. Like, <laughs> so you'll never have a team here." And then, like, all of a sudden, you know, just sort of switched. And uh, that, that was no longer the case. Obviously, the Knights were there. That was their first season. And, and um, it's just it's crazy how these leagues have all, you know, fallen back in love with Las Vegas. And, you know, the Raiders are there. And now you have the Aces there and the Knights. And eventually an NBA team is going to be there. And maybe the Oakland A's move there. Um, when you see the sports space do it, and then you see all the figures in this space. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Las Vegas for a Super Bowl? Like, name me that person that played in the NFL. Like, it just everybody wants to be there because it's, it's the most fun city to me in America. And it's, yeah, I, I think, man, a ticket to that game is going to be, you know, to sit in the nosebleeds is going to be $1,000, if not more. It's, it's wild, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Sam Pantyovich, good friend of the show, Jordan. I guess it's it is each and every week uh, around this time. Uh, what... As we continue to grow and expand and people more and more people are getting involved, how, how much challenge is there for some of the companies to keep up with the technology? 
because we did see some issues this week. Yeah, I saw a couple places weren't letting you bet live, and then another book had an issue. I, I think it was in New Jersey where they, it crashed like 30 minutes before kickoff. And all these people are just like, you know, freaking out because they can't make their $10 shame game parlays or whatever. It's, it is wild, but I, I don't know how the technology side works. I mean, that's, you know, that's an area of expertise that I just don't have. I can just, I can say though, with all the money that they make and all the money that they take, these companies, how do you not have damage control in place for the Super Bowl? Like, how is that a thing where, where like a server goes out or, or something happens or a wire gets crossed? Like, how, how is that not easily fixed on the biggest gambling day of the year? That's, that's something that I just, it just can't happen. And then there was, there, there was an issue out there in Nevada, right, where, where they couldn't, you couldn't make, like, in-game bets or something like that? Well, William Hill crashed for the day, and they still had trouble getting it going for the next, uh, you know, for the last couple of days. Adam, have you talked to anyone? Still the same message. Oh, wow. Um, have you talked to anyone who uh, estimated how much uh, William Hill not being able to take bets affected the overall handle? Like, is it is it another five million? Is it two million? I I have no idea, Sam, of like how big the effect would be. I mean, I don't know. Did it take ten million dollars out of the kitty? I wonder. Well, it depends on when it went down and how long it was out for. I mean, like I said, we're talking about you know different um, occurrences where one state it was pregame and another state it was in game. I mean, I. I, I happen to think most Americans still bet more pregame than they do in-game. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, in, in Nevada, if you couldn't live bet in Nevada, because I know guys in the room that I was in, where I'm, I'm with some more seasoned people when I come to Vegas, they're betting in-game. They were taking the Chiefs, you know, down 10. They were taking the Chiefs coming into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter. So, like, yeah, I, I think there's more of an appetite for in-game betting in Nevada, and there's more of a pregame you know, your parlays and your teasers and all that, like the prop bets. Like, I think that's more common around the country, but the in-game stuff is a lot more common in Nevada, at least from what I can gather. We talked two weeks ago about what you do for 2024. Um, did you already get your Chiefs Super Bowl bet in for next year, like 5-1, to 5-50? <laughs> uh, I'm still drunk from Sunday, so no, I haven't done anything <laughs> yet. In fact, i gotta, I got to go on pregame here in about 20 minutes, and I'm, like, reading my script, like, falling asleep. Um, no, I have not done anything yet. Uh, somebody asked me today, he goes, hey, are we going to bet Calvin Ridley to be the comeback player of the year? And I'm like, wow. Like, this is this conversation yep. is too deep for me right it, now because he will be back. <laughs> yes. It, he will be back. But I'm like, dude, the game just ended. Oh, you know? no. And then, and then right I, on, on TV today, hey, on TV today, they go, what place? All right, Sammy P., what place are the Red Sox going to finish? And I'm like, can we relax? Like, the Super Bowl <laughs> I, need, just I, need, I need two days off. By the way, we know Calvin Ridley bet on it, so we might as well bet on it, too. I think you get twenty to one on Ridley, which which is not a bad bet. I mean, the the two guys that obviously will get a lot of love for comeback will be um, Cooper Cup and, and Jonathan Taylor because they both got hurt and they're perennial MVP mm. um, contenders. But I mean, I don't know, man. If you come back from a gambling suspension and catch fifteen touchdowns, you have to win the award, right? You would think, but you're right. That that actually that was a great breakdown. If those guys, you know, technically are comeback players then, I mean, how the hell would Ridley win it, right? The competition's ridiculous at the top. Hey, what place are the Red Sox going to finish? I'm like, are we serious right now? Like, we just got back from Vegas. The Super Bowl just ended. Now we're now we're in. Now you want to know what round the Red Sox get eliminated in. We're, we are way too far for that conversation right now. Just say third place. Yeah, that's fair. I think, well, I do think that team could be second or fifth. I said that today, and I'm sure that the Red Sox brass was very 
very happy with that comment, but they're very volatile. I mean, there's a lot of question marks. If they stay healthy and the, the offensive additions are, are okay, then, yeah, they can make the playoffs, but, you know, they could also finish in last. Sammy DeMann, I hope you had a good time while you were here in Vegas. All right, buddy. See you. There he is, Sam Paniotovich going off to pregame. Actually, I want to build on that topic. Maybe I am a creep. Did you hear what my excuse was there? What do you think of that? We got two out of it? No, that he was going to be here hanging out late night. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, I had obligations during the day. Should I have managed my time better so that I could have gone, you know, 12, 14 hours all day long? Maybe.